Seas. This is a podcast where our guests and I talk about our original characters, the good, the bad, and the self-inserts. Today, our guest is Brendan. How are you doing today? I'm doing all right, Christina. How about you? I, I can't complain too much. I've heard that some parts of the country are currently getting snow, but we're not, so Oof. I'm calling it good. <laughs> Oof. Yeah, it's it's so humid. It shouldn't be this humid. Yeah, well, uh, the weather is just gonna do... It's gonna do its own thing, and all we can do is hang on for the ride and try to survive. <laughs> Ain't that true. We are, we are at weather's fickle command. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, Brendan, who are we going to be talking about today? So, today we're going to be talking about my character, Aurelio. He's, um... That's just his latest name, honestly. He started out with a completely different one in a completely different setting. I've had him since I was 13. Okay. So we're talking... So this is an OC that you've had for an extremely long time, and it sounds like uh, Aurelio's gone through several incarnations. 12 years. Okay. 12 years. Oh, that feels weird to say. (laughs) I can relate to that. So how about if we start at the beginning? Where did he start? So uh, when I was a baby teenager, I loved DeviantArt, as we all did. And I found, through my various clickings, uh, a webcomic that somebody was trying to start. Uh, I haven't checked on this project basically since 2005, so who knows what's happened. But so this this webcomic, and I forget the creator, but it was called uh, Wormwood Academy or something along those lines. And the premise of it was a urban fantasy boarding school for supernatural creatures. Okay. And I was a mythology kid, capital M, capital K. So I thought, well... Let's do a siren, because sirens are cool. They get to sing a lot, and uh, this lets me make people listen to my weeby music, so let's do that. And so he started out as a siren, and I was looking at Greek names, uh, because I wanted to put some sort of validness behind it. And I was using a, a baby name website, like we all do. We all still do, I hope. Uh, not just me. But uh, Herodias popped up. Uh, Herodias is actually a um, character in... Like, there's one character with that name who's part of a myth called Hero and Leander, uh, which is two lovers who live across the straits in Turkey. And uh, I forget the whole thing, but basically, like, they swim across the strait to meet each other, and then one day the guy dies, so Hero um, does the Greek tragedy thing, and I'll leave it there. Yeah, doesn't isn't there something about like having lit lanterns to communicate across the across the body of water that would become the Hellspond or something like that? Yes, exactly. Uh, and then the other is uh, in the Bible, uh, one of the wives of King Herod, and I believe the mother of Salome. Uh, and I didn't really pay attention to the fact that these were female characters. I was just like, I like this name, and I feel weird calling him Herod, so we'll do that. Okay. And uh, last name, I just kind of spun a Jeopardy wheel and landed on uh, Princeton because I was like, eh, why not? Okay. And also, uh, I thought I was being very clever with how to handle 
Well, sirens are birds sometimes and mermaids sometimes. So my brain went, why not both? It seems like a reasonable leap for a 13-year-old to make. Right. So he was a, a winged merperson. And, but only a merperson when you touch water like Splash or uh, H2O just add water. There's a throwback. Okay. Uh, but, uh, so, uh, my best friend, I, I roped her into this because we were, uh, very recently friends, and what better way to build a deeper friendship than make, uh, have them make an original character for you, uh, to go with yours. And so she made up a selkie named Hannah. And so that project, it did eventually... I don't know if it fell through or if we just were teenagers and got distracted. So we started reading this, uh, we started reading this uh, original English language manga. That's a, okay. uh, by Tokyo Pop called Pantheon High, which was a similar concept, except all of the characters are demigods. Okay. And uh, again, I was just like, you know what? Let's just flip him over to be a son of Poseidon. And the really funny thing is, I've ne I've still never read um, any of the Percy Jackson books, but apparently okay. what I was doing with him back then was very, very similar to the Percy Jackson books. Yeah. And so uh, his whole thing was Kid of Poseidon in this big boarding, I don't think it was a boarding school, I think it was just a regular high school full of uh, demigods. So that was the character concept I actually stuck with after that, was demigod. Okay. And I transferred him to roleplay because, you know, fanfic, what do you mean I have to actually write the thing I want to read? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't want to write that. Do you want to write that? No. Yep. You ha Sometimes you have to be the fanfic author you want to read in the world. <laughs> uh, but 13-year-old me was uh, too busy with... I don't even know what he was too busy doing, but too busy for that, I can tell you. Mm -hmm. So uh, I sought out role play, and uh, because it was uh, DeviantArt was really the only like social website that I used, not because I didn't look for or wasn't allowed to go on any like forums or anything. It's just what was there. Mm -hmm. So I hopped on. Uh, their chat system and it started with an actual like dedicated room for that webcomic project for everybody to do character building and establish them in the universe yeah. uh, it was also in no way official it was just a bunch of people who were like like fans of this idea and the creator was like maybe i'll give you a cameo that kind of thing that's really interesting and so uh, I started role-playing him, and that's where I, I learned how to avoid a lot of role-play faux pas. Uh, yeah. Like, uh, I learned what god modding was, and I didn't even know that that was a thing. Oh, yes, it's a thing. <laughs> it is very a thing. But, you know, innocent first-timer mistakes. Mm -hmm. And um, eventually he transitioned into being more of a sort of a generic urban fantasy character for a very long time that was designed to sort of slot into 
whatever was needed of the situation because I was not a very creative child. So, with the moving into the more urban fantasy setting, did Herodias maintain any of the prior connections or powers that he had? Did he keep the half-merman, half-flying-winged siren thing? Did he keep the Poseidon connection? So, I did drop the the wings uh, relatively early on because I realized it was just a little too cumbersome. So, uh, more of a uh, splash-style mermaid for a while. Okay. And I did keep the uh, compelling voice because compelling voices are fun. I also kept the uh, the uh, Poseidon connection. I was like, you know what? Half half Poseidon, half Siren. Greek gods get with all sorts of weird mythological creatures. That makes sense, right? Yes, they definitely do. So uh, compelling voice, hydromancy, because I've always been big into water magic. And I'm always very upset when I pop in a new video game and it's like, well, we have ice magic. And I go, that doesn't count, but fine. Yeah. I mean, any port in the storm when it comes to uh, (laughs) fantasy or video game elemental systems. (laughs) So uh, we, my best friend and I took the initial concept of boarding school and we sort of uh, co-opted and re re renovated it to be a college setting, <laughs> uh, and of course made it so that we only sort of took the idea because everybody it seemed like was doing like weird boarding school things because Harry Potter was still super duper huge and everyone wanted to do their own Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, oh yeah, I've been there. <laughs> and so we crafted um, to go along with Herodias and Hannah we crafted a whole bunch of, like, other incidental characters to be roommates and a social circle. Okay. Uh, and uh, he, uh, Herodias got a canon boyfriend at that point, who was a, uh, a pixie, I believe, uh, named Eric. Okay. And there was a lot of sort of the pondering, it got weirdly into the ponderings of what it means to be an incredibly long-lived creature compared to something that isn't, and it got real angsty when we started delving into the fact that, hey, you're going to die someday, but I don't think I will. Uh, because, obviously, you know, immortals. Yeah. And uh, who wants their character to die? That's not fun. There, there's, there's a time and a place to worry about a character death, especially if it's your own character. <laughs> and, um, so... My best friend and I did a bunch of, like, loosely structured roleplay. We uh, developed shared custody of our characters because, uh, you know, you trust somebody enough and and you go, yeah, sure, you can use my characters. And Mm -hmm. because you you know what I want for them, you know me. Yeah. Uh, But Herodias was really static. He was a very one-note character, like any baby's Mary Sue is. Mm-hmm. So, like, he was uh, he was dashing, he was charming, he had a compelling voice and water magic, but he didn't really have a flaw. Mm-hmm. And uh, I revisited him a lot later because I'd put him on a shelf, because I wasn't really doing that much with him. Oh, um, before we move to this other shelf, I was going to ask... Um, 
how did how did sharing Herodias with your friend like how did that affect his story or the way that or the kind of things that he did the way his story was being told? So my best friends and I are very much of one mind. Uh, we're we're very very similar. So the things that she would have him do were um not that different from what I would honestly. Uh. Mm-hmm. The the biggest thing that she did with him was uh, try to find a flaw. Try to find something, you know, to make him a little bit more interesting to uh, the theoretical audience this was going to reach. Because obviously we were mm-hmm. doing this with the intention that people would read it. Yeah. And honestly, it was so long ago, I, I forget if if she ever settled on something or if I would just shoot them down. Again, because at this point I was 15 and, you know, original character, do not alter, do not steal, even though I've given yeah. you full permission to do so. Mm-hmm. Ugh, kids. I'm so over here shrugging because I'm, I'm not going to try, I'm not going to impose judgment on decisions that people made when they were making their OCs. <laughs> uh, especially when you're a crappy teenager. So, when I revisited him, I, I realized that I'd created a Mary Sue of not the highest caliber, but a pretty high one. So, I, I took him off the shelf, I dusted him off, and I said, how can we make you better? Mm-hmm. And I said, the first thing that needs to go is the name. We need, a, a like, a an actual person's name. I mean, you never know nowadays. There's there's kids named all kinds of things. Herodias isn't impossible of a name. No, no, it it, it honestly isn't anymore. But uh, somewhere along the line, he'd gone from being a teenager to being a 20-something. And uh, he'd also, then he'd gone from being a 20-something to just being a full-grown man. Oh yeah, and when when teens try to come up with the way that adults think, I, I just harken back to that one that one comedy skit that was being that was done by some kind of I feel like it was a YouTube channel where it was just like it was a bunch of adult actors acting out what a bunch of six year olds thought adults did while they were at work. <laughs> <laughs> Stuff like I'm going to pay bills. This is a line. Uh, it was it was very much like that, except uh, I am supposedly 35, but I act like I'm 17 mm-hmm. uh, because my writer is and not and while emotionally mature, not that emotionally mature. Mm-hmm. So I sort of decided to capitalize on that, honestly, when I was revamping him. Uh, I chose the name Aurelio because I still did want to keep the idea that this was a character who uh, sort of has a lot of old Roman roots to him, if not actually like an immortal from that time period anymore. Mm-hmm. So I picked Aurelio. It means golden. Okay. Uh, and it also has a Roman, uh, a Roman variant, which I thought was very important. Okay. And uh, the last name, Andriatico, uh, is... Uh, apparently, it's one of those generic names that you would give to somebody who lived in a certain place. Mm-hmm. And in this case, it's by the Adriatic Sea uh, okay. in, 
which is uh, between Italy and Slovenia. Okay. Yes. Because I still wanted him to be Italian. Okay. He he'd started off as Greek. Then I was like, well, maybe Roman. And then I'd settled for why not half and half. Okay. Half Greek, half Roman. That's gotta be a that's gonna be a fun contrast with mythology related powers. <laughs> Neptune, Poseidon, honestly the same thing. Uh, I actually have been doing some uh, research lately, just independent because I fell down a Wikipedia hole at work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so here's a fun fact: Neptune started off as a god of uh, horsemanship. Okay. Because the Latins did not really have sea access, so they would have no need for a sea god. Mm-hmm. And then uh, when they, when the Romans and Greeks started interacting, they incorporated the bulk of Poseidon into him, so he became a water god too. That makes sense. That's a that's a feasible enough link. If you're going to be mix and matching mythology, that's that that is a pretty good match. <laughs> Yeah, I I knew I was safe doing Greek and Roman because same thing. Until you get into all of the weird um syncreticized gods that pop up later like Isis had a huge cult in Rome. She was very popular. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh if you're listening and you want to talk mythology, uh, it sounds like you need to shoot Brendan a message. <laughs> oh, please do. I'd be so happy. But uh work at a uh we're going to circle back to the original point. So I I gave him a new name, and then I started thinking of what kind of stories do I actually want to tell nowadays? Like, I don't want to just be a teenager just slapping my character into whatever setting he needs to be in because I like this other person's character who's a lot more thought out. Mm-hmm. And so I went, well, let's keep the urban fantasy angle. But let's sort of make a concrete setting. And what I did was, uh, modern day, he's an actor now. Uh, he is an actor on a soap opera. Okay. Uh, because I figured putting him in a, a setting like a soap opera, uh, that just gives you a lot of weird and fun things to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, because... If you can't think of anything to do, just think like a soap opera writer whose show's been on for 50 years. Yep. Uh, pregnant, in a coma, and possessed. Mm-hmm. It gives the creator a lot of leeway to just kind of explain away whatever's happening. Like, oh, hey, uh, there's some, there's some weird, there's some weird fans that are trying to get into this star's trailer. Uh, it's just because they, uh... It, it, it's just because they're a big star, not because they have, you know, supernatural powers or anything. Oh, right? <laughs> witchcraft? What's that? I've never heard of it. I don't know a witchcraft. I think it's something they do in Europe. Oh, wait, I'm from Europe. Crap. Um? Uh, so, I also, like, gave him, a like, two average parents mm-hmm. who uh, met in culinary school and... Oh, sweet own uh own like a restaurant franchise Mm -hmm. and so i also went and i i set up a backstory so now he's he's from uh england he's from manchester Mm -hmm. 
which is where uh, his parents settled. Uh, his dad's full-blooded Italian. His mom is Greek-American, because I did want to sort of keep that fusion. Okay. And uh, he was a theater kid. He was a very dorky theater kid. Uh, and I was delighted when I realized, oh my god, he would have been like 13 when Cats came out. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> exactly. He's the perfect age to get into spectacle Broadway. Oh gosh. What what were his thoughts on Starlight Express? Was Andrew Lloyd Webber his fa- absolute favorite? Um, Sir Andrew can do no wrong. And he doesn't care that Starlight Express and Cats are basically the same thing. Uh, he likes them both just fine. Okay. But uh, would rather be in Starlight Express because it's really fun to roller skate. Okay. Requires less hair and makeup than Cats does, too, I imagine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so he's actually stayed as a roleplay character, but now that he's got this more defined setting, it's way easier for him to get into plausible shenanigans. Okay. And uh, plausible shenanigans such as, like you said, the uh, fan starts to suspect that something wonky is going on, and you have to try really hard not to let them know things are going on, or you'll break the masquerade. And if you break the masquerade, bad things happen. All capital letters. Okay. Uh, I also finally realized, you know, the use of a character flaw. The way to make a character interesting. Mm-hmm. And I, I decided that the best way to make a character interesting is to sort of, or at least to make him interesting, was to capitalize on the extreme uh, maturity disparity in what he was supposed to be and what he actually is. Okay. So, explain that a little bit more. So, the the idea that I eventually settled on was somebody who has been not a professional actor for so long, uh, but who has been someone to acting in theater for so long that they never really developed their own personality. So he's very emotionally immature in a way. He he looks and acts like, you know, a suave, sophisticated adult because that's what he thinks he's supposed to do, but really he's got about the emotional maturity of a 16-year-old at this point. Okay. Uh, he gets attached to other people very, very easy. Uh, he gets very... Uh, hurt if he is denied the, uh, basically if he's attracted to somebody, let's say, and they reject him, he gets very sullen and withdrawn and goes into a, uh, a pity party, like a teen would. Yeah. (laughs) Or, uh, what else was I, I was just talking about this the other day. And the, the whole idea is, uh, I was kind of inspired by the Persona series, which, uh, you know, it it forces a character to look at their flaws and examine them in a uh, thematic way. Okay. And so I figured uh, the theme I would use for him was a puppet of 
which is, you know, kind of weird when you're talking about fictional characters, because that's what they are, but... Layers all the way down. Oh, there's so many layers here, it's... It's a seven-layer dip. Instead of guacamole, the bottom layer is just teen, with a capital T. Yeah, and so, uh... I've been writing him lately with this idea in mind that he needs to find something that will kind of force him to grow up. Force him to realize that he never actually has, because he's never really wanted to. Mm -hmm. And uh, unlike a lot of, like, Peter Pan Syndrome characters who are trying to recapture being specifically a child, he's just somebody who never matured past the point of being a 16-year-old theater kid. Yeah who wants to be uh, the center of attention, and if he's not the center of attention, he withers. Mm-hmm. So he will dominate a conversation, he will make himself the focal point, and he doesn't realize that he does it. Okay. And the biggest problem about you know roleplay characters is they sort of exist in vacuums until you find partners to roleplay with. Yeah, I, I think that's a fair statement. Uh, my What I wanted to talk about with you and with the listeners is sort of the idea of retrofitting your first character. Um, I know that prior guests have talked about characters they made when they were children that they've kept to this day, uh, entire fictional settings they made when they were children that they've kept. And I think that it's a really useful tool for us as creatives to sort of learn how to take these silly, self-indulgent childhood ideas and retrofit them and update them. Yeah, I I definitely would agree with that. Especially because, I, again, this is me speaking from personal experience here. <laughs> Um, a lot of the times I feel like stories that, the kind of stories that kids come up with are sometimes a lot more maybe original than ones that they come up with when they're adults. Because once you're an adult, you're, you know, thinking critically about the kind of story that you're telling and you might be specifically trying to draw from certain sources of inspiration and you're much more likely to stop and take a second and then be put and then like essentially like putting blinders on yourself about like mm-hmm. no my my story has to go this certain way whereas if if a comparative child is telling the story they're just going to they're going to go for it they're not going to worry about what kind of uh what kind of inspiration might be where their inspiration might be coming from, they're just going to make the story they want to tell. And it's and it's almost, it might not necessarily be the most creative. It might just be, you know, Batman goes to rescue a princess and they have a big kiss at the end or something. But <laughs> it's, it's still going to be fun. And a lot of the times, unless you can kind of connect to that, like, child's storyteller instinct, sometimes the story can fall flat. <laughs> I'd say a good word for it is, like, joyful abandon. Mm -hmm. Just learning how to indulge, yeah, learning how to recapture the child storyteller, learning how to indulge the goofier parts of yourself Mm -hmm. 
uh, and put them on the page and then think about how you can fine tune it. Mm -hmm. Uh, just, uh, my creative writing teacher would do like freeform writing exercises where she'd have us just, just word, just like put words on a page. Don't think about what you're doing, don't try to make a plot up beforehand, just let your imagination run wild. Mm -hmm. Then see what you've done and see what you can do with it. Okay. And I think that's kind of what I did with Leo, uh, is I I took this this 13-year-old's, uh, I don't want to say the word word vomit, that's a little gross for the podcast, uh, eh. this... This thirteen-year-old's just self-indulgent schlock, and decided, you know what? I think I can salvage this. I think I can make this into a character that I would actually not be embarrassed to show other people. Okay. Because let me tell you, there are babies' first drawings on some corner of the internet, and they should stay locked away. <laughs> no one should see that. I can relate to that. This is this is a show for digging up and presenting whatever dirt you want to dig up and present. Oh, the the real dirt was all of the all of the attempts that I did make to try and do more quote unquote serious role playing. Mm -hmm. And it all just falling to pieces because uh baby me couldn't stand having to work within somebody else's limitations. I was a horrible kid. I mean, I am. I am personally all for giving uh, giving our past teenage selves more leniency than, uh, maybe more leniency than we're inclined to give them because <laughs> we 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 were thirteen. What did we know? Well, we thought we knew everything. Mm hmm. Uh, there's also uh, something that I used Leo to examine, and here's okay. where the podcast is going to get deep, children, so buckle in. Yep. So, when I was a kid, my dad was a long-haul trucker, which meant that I, for all intents and purposes, didn't really have a father for most mm -hmm. of the year. And because I was already playing this adult man... Why I figured, well, why not make him the dad that I want to have? Okay. Because my dad wasn't a, he wasn't a bad dad. He was just, you know, not really there that often. Mm -hmm. So I, I strive to embody these characteristics of, uh, be the dad you want to see in the world. Okay. And sort of having Leo take on a fatherly role to a lot of characters that he came across that were younger than him, which is really uh, funny considering we just talked about the emotional immaturity part. <laughs> yep. But, but I think, you know, thinking you know what's best for other people uh, is a very teenage thing to do. And, you know, a broken clock is right twice a day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. There's a saying about a squirrel, about a blind squirrel, that I could reference here, but I'm not gonna. Oh my god. Uh, and it was, it was sort of the, 
it was more of a personal exploration of what those themes meant to me, what taking on a mentorship role meant, what giving good advice was. Uh, and that's part of uh, something that I think uh, another thing that uh, creatives need to recognize is, you know, characters as self-improvement tools. We do it unconsciously a lot, but I think we all do it. Oh, yeah, definitely. There's a lot of, there's, there's a, there's a partially true stereotype about, oh, hey, go play Dungeons and Dragons. It's free therapy. <laughs> Which. Yeah, it's not wrong. So, yeah, it's, it, that's not a hundred percent wrong, but if you're going into playing Dungeons and Dragons or tabletop games or really any kind of creative outlet just to express or try to solve your issues, maybe just go straight to therapy. It's not as bad as everyone thinks it's going to be. It's really not. Uh, that's also something I've been trying to get into, uh, is, uh, is tabletop role-playing, but I can only ever be the, I can only ever GM. Nobody wants to actually let, let me play. It's weird. Um, (laughs) Probably because I'm one of the only ones in my friend group who has like the uh, the desire to do it seriously, mm-hmm. as seriously as you can play Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, like there needs to be a fine distinction between Lord of the Rings and I'm gonna say Adventure Zone is the other end, just because you know it is that sort. It is like the silly it. it mm. The inherent silliness of Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. The okay. fine line between camp and seriousness. Yeah. And that's something that I like to examine is that line between camp and seriousness. Mm-hmm. Especially taking a character who was, I would say a Mary Sue is a, there's sort of a baby's first foray into camp because it's so hyper exaggerated whether your Mary Sue is perfect like, literally perfect, or if they're super powerful, or if they make friends with everyone they meet. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like Leo is one who made friends with every person that he met. Exactly. Uh, because as a child who did not have a lot of friends, uh, I wanted to make a character that people would like, because people have to like you. At least that's yeah. how I thought at the time. Yeah. Relatable. Uh, and honestly, he's he's so important to me because he's been with me for so long. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been through some really weird, dark places, just like, you know, personally, we all have. But I can take this character and I can sort of uh, do do what I want to work out my issues through that character. Mm-hmm. Which is, it ties back into Dungeons and Dragons as free therapy. It's, you write out whatever you need to happen in your life to make you feel better, and you just have it happen to a character that you can easily project yourself on because they're just a self insert but very thinly veiled. Because again, we were all there. Mm hmm. And he did start out as a very thinly veiled self-insert. And what was funnier is uh, there were other self-inserts that he would interact with. It was just, it was, 
self-inserts all the way down. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I wanted to talk to you and talk to our audience and talk to and talk about him because I think I said it earlier, but I think you know the value of Baby's First Mary Sue. Uh, the ladies of I Will Fight You have talked about that. Uh, mm-hmm. Annie's episode about Ezra, honestly, was a, a big inspiration for me wanting to talk about Leo. Oh, well, thank you. Because it's it's almost a universal experience, I think. Mm-hmm. It's just that not a lot, all of us will, you know, look back and laugh at ourselves, but not all of us will then dig that up and say, let's, let's, let's see what we can do. Yeah. You're all right, kid. <laughs> Okay, so we've talked a lot about uh, about Leo's various journeys in a more metatextual sense. Mm-hmm. What are some of the crazy things that he's gotten up to during your time with him as a role-playing character? Oh, Lord. Oh, boy. You um, can just do kind of best bits, if that'd be easier. <laughs> a sprawling... Uh, epic multi-generational narrative that starts when he met a uh, Japanese wolf deity. Okay. And that was uh, my first consistent roleplay partner. Sometimes I wonder what happened to her. But, you know, ships crossing the night and all of that. Mm-hmm. But it was just this... I thought it was super serious at the time. Uh, it was the first thing I ever wrote that made me cry. Uh, but just, it was what a child, like, what a teen thinks epic fantasy is. Mm-hmm. When really it's just a lot of slice of life and occasionally something magic happens. Yeah. See, and funnily enough, slice of life is what I settled into rather quickly. And I think mm-hmm. slice of life is a bit undervalued. Because Slice of Life is great for character development. Oh, yeah. I I think I might have mentioned on a previous episode of Wayward at one point that a lot of the times you'll see fanfiction authors writing, writing their fics about more kind of Slice of Life scenarios, usually incorporating, like, it's usually a larger cast of characters, simply mm-hmm. because the in their in their in their native canon those characters don't really get a chance to relax a whole lot and that way then it's an exploration of what hap- what happens to them in more mundane situations as opposed to you know oh hey we got to go clear out a demon we got to go cleanse this church or whatever and honestly that's even nowadays even though i've just talked about developing you know the the more serious flaws and the more like, you know, story implications, I still prefer doing Slice of Life. I still love just working on a character through mundane situations. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a good thing for everybody to take, like, their sprawling epic fantasy character or whatever setting you're in, uh, like a tabletop character, and instead of uh, slaying the Lich... What happens when, I don't know, uh, you get hired by a villager and you have to chase down a prized chicken? Mm-hmm. Or, or, oh no, 
Oh no, uh, my cows have gotten out of their pen. Oh wait, that's just Dragon Age Inquisition. Um, <laughs> or oh, you have to you have to do conflict negotiation between the between these two different between these two groups that are opposed to each other, and and they're not necessarily uh, groups of armed assassins that you can just murder and be done with it. Right. Uh, a lot of Leo's storytelling is non-violent problem solving. Okay. Mostly because one, I I've not quite mastered writing an action scene just yet. But I also think it's more interesting personally to come up with a creative solution to whatever problem that you've come across. Mm-hmm. Uh if I let me tell you, if I ever do get to tabletop one day, it's going to be a lot of charisma checks on diplomacy. And uh yeah. Maybe a few uses of charm person. Uh, mm-hmm. Because the... Also, the nonviolent solution is usually a lot more fun to read. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's the... I mean, it's the it's the Gordian Knot scenario. Mm-hmm. You, you can just solve it by cutting it in half, but sometimes it's more fun to figure out the knot itself. <laughs> a lot of what I look to do is more of this... I've probably repeated myself about five times, and I apologize. Uh, I'm more interested in character interaction than I am in epic fantasies and sprawling, sprawling plot lines. I I just want to focus on how do how does this character and this character interact because they come with very different personalities and very different life experiences. Uh, sp- Especially when, you know, you're a character who, like Leo, Leo has grown up in relative comfort. Uh, he's not, he hasn't, he isn't a person who's actually known a lot of struggle and uh, the negative implications of that. Like, you can pay lip service to somebody who's been through a lot of bad things, but you can't personally relate to them because you've never experienced that yourself. And the friction that comes when another person calls you out and says, hey, you're, I know you're trying to be sympathetic, but you're really just pitying me. Yeah. And then working out, well, how do I stop pitying and start actively supporting and empathizing? That's part of why I latched onto Persona so hard. I live for psychological evaluation of characters. Okay. I like seeing what makes them tick. I have absolutely zero experience with Persona, so uh, you've got that covered. <laughs> I, if you're if you're into uh, if you're into like character motivation driven things, I would definitely give it a go. I think part of it is also I don't remember what all the systems are for it, and I don't have a lot of time to play video games in general anymore. <laughs> Ugh, full time. Tell me about it. So, did you have anything else that you wanted to talk about before I go into the final question? Uh, no, not really. Okay. Uh, in that case, then, uh, your final question for today, Brendan, is why do you love Leo so much? I love Leo so much because he's been with me through pretty much 
everything that I've gone through since I was 13. Through, you know, through bullying, through the general tribulations of high school. Uh, he's just very special because I've been able to use him as sort of that therapy tool that we were talking about. Mm-hmm. And... I don't know, just this therapeutic roleplay thing. I think more people need to do it. Uh, maybe with somebody who's uh, kind of okay with knowing that that's what you're doing, or is down with heavier plots. But I do think, you know, we need to uh, realize the value of working out our issues through creative expression. That's a good way to put it. Because, you know, just the creative the creative impulse is a common one, mostly. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're creative, uh, you're not a creative professional because then you have to worry about deadlines. And my sympathies to all of you who have to deal with deadlines. It's a struggle. It's a bore. And there's nothing that anyone's given. <laughs> and that's your Lee Miz quote for the day, y'all. <laughs> Thank you, Brendan, for coming on Wayward to talk about Leo today. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's not a problem. I loved being here. I'm glad to hear that. So, do you have anything that you want to promote on the internet? Places where you can be found? So, I I do have a Twitter, um, but honestly, it's just a lot of me retweeting uh, things. I... Uh, Instead of uh, promoting something that I'm doing, because I don't really do that much on the internet, uh, I'd, I'd like to give a plug. Yeah, sure. Obviously, there's a lot of crossover uh, listeners for, uh, like, the Crooked Russian Cam Network and Hey Jake and Josh. So, uh, while I do love them, uh, and I do recommend that you go listen to all of their stuff, uh, the podcast I'm actually going to plug today is uh, Kids and Their Dog, because I'm also going to be on that. Uh, where, uh, uh, Cassidy and, uh, her co-host Lava watch a Scooby-Doo movie and recap it with a guest every episode. Okay. And that's, uh, I think, let me find what their Twitter handle is. Uh, yeah, it actually is just kids and their dog. Awesome. So yes, uh, go listen to Cassidy and Lava, uh, at kids and their dog. I will be recording my episode, I think, sometime in June-ish, so I have no idea when it comes out. But I'm going to be uh, recapping Scooby-Doo and the Loch Ness Monster with them. Okay. Uh, Because, uh, I forget if Jennifer Hale is Daphne's cousin or if it's still Great Alisle, but just Great Alisle doing a Scottish accent. What's not fun about that? I... I honestly, I haven't really seen that, so I can't judge. <laughs> oh, please do. It's good Scooby fun. Yeah. Uh, my other pick was going to be Monster of Mexico, uh, but then I realized I am way too white to be talking about all of the issues in that movie. Probably a good call, it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> the Chupacabra's not a Bigfoot, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, no. Very different monsters, literally. <laughs> but yeah, so kids and their dog. At kids and their dog. Uh, I listen on Google Podcasts. I know they're on 
if they're on Google Podcasts, they're probably also on Apple Podcasts because I think they cross, I think they cross post or something like that. But I know that most podcasts that are on Apple Podcasts are also on Google Podcasts, which is how I listen to this one. Oh, cool. Good to know. Uh, it doesn't have any review leaving or rating metrics, unfortunately. It it's yeah. really just for it's really just a podcatcher. Yeah, you know what? That's not the worst thing in the world. <laughs> True. True. The Home for Great Widow Seas is a part of the Corner Podcast Network. It can be found on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Pippa, and Stitcher. Our theme song is Violet by Poddington Bear, courtesy of the Free Music Archives. New episodes come out on the second and fourth Mondays of the month. If you'd like to get in touch with us, we can be found on Twitter at WaywardOCPod or through the WaywardOCPod hashtag. You can also email us at WaywardOCPod at gmail.com. Uh, and I do have guests booked through... I think booked through June, uh, but if you, dear listener, or someone you know might be interested in being on the show, uh, feel free to send me a line, and we can talk about maybe getting them on the show at some point. Uh, And, of course, this is a podcast, and so I am legally obliged to inform you that it's very helpful if you subscribe and rate us on your listening platform of choice, if that's something that you can do, Uh, and recommend us to a friend, because that helps us to reach a wider audience and to brighten more people's days. So, thank you all for listening. This is with the Home for Wayward OCs, and we hope you enjoyed your stay. Uh, he's so special. He's baby's first. What a fun and wacky Rube Goldberg sequence where one of us messed up the plan, but we still captured the crabby creature of Creepy Crag. And now it's time to reveal who's behind the mask. Kids and their dog! The Scooby-Doo Movie Review and Recap Podcast? Oh yeah, the show where I, your Hanna-Barbera talking animal Cassidy, and you, Lava, watch a Scooby-Doo movie once a month and talk about it. This was all part of its clever ploy to let people know that it can be found on Twitter, at Kids and Their Dog, or wherever you download podcasts. Ah, and they would have gotten away with it too. If it weren't for us meddling kids. 